and welcome to What About Us, the podcast where we discuss how policies affect rural Tennesseans. We have no political affiliation. We just try to find the most qualified people to discuss the issues. Thanks to everyone who has listened to our trailer and first two interviews, and I hope you are telling other people about the podcast. I know I am. What About Us is available on iTunes and Google Play. Our first full-length podcast was about the news and how important keeping up with state and local papers helps strengthen our voices in rural Tennessee. A steady diet of national news won't help us understand and articulate the issues in our communities. For example, last week we talked a little bit about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, but concentrated how, how businesses um, in rural Tennessee were working uh, under this uh, uh, law um, a small poll in Tennessee showed that it really wasn't working so much for small businesses in rural areas. Surprisingly, we learned that bigger benefits might be obtained by forming a corporation. This will uh, need some lawyers and accountants to work that out. Uh, we also f- found that the demise of the ACA might cause bigger problems for small businesses. Finally, in that episode, we talked about minimum wage, and guess what? Congress did, too, and voted for a national minimum wage of $15. Here we talked about a living wage, like $10 or so, not 15 but we did refute the 10-year-old excuse that a higher minimum wage would cause businesses to close and jobs to be lost, and lo and behold, at least one of our congressmen used that very excuse, 10 years without an increase in our booming economy. I knew... I need to make one correction in our action plan from last week. I said you could go to the hospital to get online to find your state representatives. You could, but I meant to say the library, which would be so much easier. I had hospitals and health care on my mind for this week. So we know that health services are limited in rural Tennessee. Hospitals are closing. Some counties have only a few health care providers, if any. Most residents have to drive over 30 minutes for routine care and emergencies. Every year, promises and plans are made, and another year goes by where many rural residents have no access to affordable quality health care. So what about us? Our guest today is Anna Rarick from the Tennessee Justice Center, a nonprofit organization based in Nashville that not only manages 10 care for children, but fights for affordable, accessible health care throughout our state. Anna's going to give us some real information about health care assistance programs in Tennessee. Welcome, Anna help us break it down. Let's start with some definitions. Medicaid is a federal and state health insurance program that provides health insurance to people with low incomes and also some people with disabilities. TennCare is Tennessee's Medicaid program and this covers both adults and children in Tennessee. The Affordable Care Act is another definition we're going to talk about. The Affordable Care Act mostly went into place in 2014, and um, part of the Affordable Care Act allowed for Medicaid expansion for states. So when this was put in place, it allowed states to expand their Medicaid programs to up to 138% of the poverty level. So this would help kind of close the health coverage gap and allow more low-income people who couldn't afford private health insurance to still have health coverage. Medicaid expansion became optional for states instead of mandatory in 2012. The Supreme Court decided that Medicaid expansion would be optional so states could choose to not accept the federal dollars to expand Medicaid. 
And for Tennessee, this money we are talking about is $1.4 billion per year that wow. Tennessee could choose to accept to expand Medicaid. It's a lot of money. It is. <laughs> and one more definition, a block grant. A block grant is a specified amount of money that the federal government gives to a state or local government to help support a specific program. So this is different than a federal match. A federal match means that the federal government will give a state matching funds no matter what happens. So for example, they would give a state 65 cents for every dollar it spends on a certain program. This is designed to increase or decrease based on a state's needs, but a block grant is a rigid cap on funding. So we, we don't know how much money a block grant uh, could bring to the state because no state besides us now, mm -hmm. um, I heard that it just went, you know, was mailed in or yes. flown in. Yes. Um, we don't know how much money this would be because no state has ever applied or, or had it approved. Um, also, it is an estimate, I assume, without really knowing if there would be something that could increase our health care needs. Exactly. Yes. So, okay. you know, a block grant has been approved for different programs, but not for Medicaid. That's something okay. that has never been done before. Tennessee is the first state trying to do that. What would be an example of a block grant in another situation? Would that be like uh, transportation? Yeah, yeah, different okay. sectors such as transportation, education, things like that, okay. where okay. Um, you receive a specific amount of money, but okay. never done been done for Okay, Medicaid. maybe more a little bit more predictable things. Exactly, than, than things help. that wouldn't fluctuate as much. Okay, so Medicaid expansion, states that have opted for that. Yeah, so to date, 37 states, including Washington, D.C., have chosen to expand Medicaid. And 14 states, including Tennessee, have opted out of expanding Medicaid. And this number of states that have not adopted expansion is a shrinking number. You know, this last election last year, even more states chose to adopt expanding Medicaid. Right. So, um, a little history of Tennessee and expanding Medicaid. In 2014, the Tennessee legislature passed a law that bars the governor from expanding Medicaid. This means that it has to go through the legislature. So in other states, um, you know, the governor can just choose to expand Medicaid and it happens, but in Tennessee this cannot happen because the legislature barred it. Also, I believe that the 2014 law made it so the public could not ask for a vote. Yeah, so um, just through Tennessee's laws, in general, ballot referendums are not legal. Oh, for anything? For anything. Not just this? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, other states as well have had a ballot referendum to expand Medicaid, mm -hmm. and the people got to vote on it, but that's not allowed in Tennessee. Okay. You know, we... we we talked a little bit about our minimum wage, and, and Tennessee has a law that we, the people can't change the minimum wage in a mm -hmm. certain community. Yeah, yeah. Let's, listeners, just kind of note that. We're going to hear that um, in, in other broadcasts, too. So, uh, um, you know, not to be picky, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are some advantages of Medicaid expansion? So... Uh, one large advantage is the money aspect. So the federal government would actually pay for 90% of Medicaid expansion. 
and Tennessee would only be responsible for 10% of the costs. Um, and in 2015, Governor Haslam proposed the Insure Tennessee plan, which would have expanded Medicaid in Tennessee, but the legislature voted it down. And through this plan, the hospitals had agreed to cover this 10% that the state has to pay through an increased hospital assessment. And, you know, they did this because they knew that expansion would really benefit hospitals in the long run. Mm -hmm. But essentially this means that expansion would cost Tennessee taxpayers no money. And to make this even more compelling, we're already paying into this. By the legislature's own estimate, Tennessee loses $1.4 billion annually in federal health care funding, as we discussed earlier. So that's $3.8 million per day. And, you know, these are Tennesseans' own tax dollars that are being sent out to other states because our legislature has refused to expand Medicaid and accept these dollars for our own state. So, you know, instead of using money that's already there, we're just sending it out to other states, and that's really our own tax dollars. And that's been for five years? Yes. Okay, so that's a lot of money, over five mm-hmm. years. So $1.4 billion is an important number to remember in our discussion yes. today. Yes. About um, ins- what people were insured, yeah, or could be insured mm-hmm. under Medicaid expansion. So, if Tennessee expanded Medicaid, that would provide coverage to an extra three hundred thousand people mm-hmm. that are currently in the coverage gap. And I'd like to discuss briefly what the coverage gap means because I think it can get a little complicated. And right now, only specific categories of people can qualify for ten care. So a person has to be a child, a parent or caretaker relative of a child who is under 18, pregnant, have breast or cervical cancer, or be classified as disabled. If someone does not fall into one of these categories, it doesn't matter how much money they make, they cannot get 10 care. I think that's an important um, distinction. I think uh, Medicaid um, and for some people, is synonymous with um, welfare. Mm-hmm. So someone may have a, a, a neighbor that is thought to be on welfare and has bought a new Ford mm-hmm. truck. Mm-hmm. Well, if that man or that gentleman doesn't have a child, uh, or breast or probably not cervical cancer, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, meets these or pregnant, yeah, um, yeah. they're not on Medicaid or welfare. No, they yeah. are not. So, they literally cannot qualify. So they may be doing something else to get the money for the truck. We, yes. we don't know. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, so I can give you a couple examples of you know people I've talked with who are in the coverage gap um, who just can't get 10 care. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman that I've worked with had to quit her job because she had her leg amputated due to a health issue she had had throughout her life. And she applied for disability, but this is a problem that a lot of people run into is that it is really difficult to be approved for disability. And even if you do get approved, it's a long process and can take years. So while she was going through this process, she did not qualify for 10 care because she didn't have any kids under 18. She did have a son, but he was in his 20s. And she also couldn't afford private insurance because she had to stop working and she couldn't get health insurance through work anymore. So this meant that she fell into the coverage gap and couldn't get any kind of insurance. And 
After having her leg amputated, this was especially difficult because she couldn't even afford a new socket for her prosthetic leg. And this led to even more health concerns, such as chronic pain because she wasn't able to walk right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if Tennessee had expanded Medicaid, she would have health insurance right now, but instead she is in the coverage gap still. Let me just add a couple things uh, that struck me as a healthcare provider about this woman. I haven't taken care of a lot of amputees, but I know historically they have horrible pain to begin with. Mm -hmm. They have what's called phantom pain where they still have, they can still feel the foot or the ankle that isn't there. Um, they have m many complications uh, with the stump. Um, you know, if you've sprained your ankle uh, this summer having fun, you know what a couple of days of not being able to walk. Well, if you are missing your leg, that really is difficulty having to walk. And so that and the pain and not being able to get the socket uh, just kind of brought me to my knees, the tragedy yeah, uh, of this. Yeah, you know, also, um, I think there was a lot of fraud uncovered on the past year about disability, I think. Um, people that were reviewing uh, those records weren't reading them. They were getting quite a bit of money for a real quick review and they were missing things like terminal cancer and uh, mm -hmm. things like that. So, so uh, that's another problem. And then another problem is just hearing the word chronic pain and um, working in a, in a clinic, uh, I know what happens when people have pain and don't have insurance. They buy pills from people selling them and when that gets too expensive um, they resort to heroin mm -hmm. and so um, you know we're we have to ask that when we're seeing a patient um, and they say they're having chronic pain and what are you taking for it and they say well I take Percocet well where do you get that and what happens when that runs out because we need to know what medications they're on this is happening more and more mm -hmm. so I just have to interject oh, you know my yeah, clinical <laughs> my clinical stories thank you go ahead <laughs> <laughs> so one more example of a person I've talked to in the coverage gap um, one woman I've talked with worked as a custodian but she didn't get health coverage through her job so she also didn't qualify for 10 care because again she didn't have kids under the age of 18 her kids were older so she couldn't afford any type of health insurance and this meant she couldn't get proper care for her many health issues which included a brain aneurysm a partial heart blockage diabetes and knee injury and so many people are in this position they work at a low-wage job that doesn't provide health insurance but they don't fall into one of TenCare's specific categories, so they fall into the coverage gap. And I think this is something that's really important to remember is that so many of these people in the coverage gap are working. They right. just can't get health insurance through their jobs. Well, I'll tell you what else they fall into is the emergency room and a need for expensive hospitalizations for these un, um, untreated, uh, unmanaged uh, mm -hmm. chronic health care problems. Yes, exactly. That's a big problem is that people can't get preventive care and going to their primary care doctors, mm -hmm. so they end up in the ER where their costs are a lot higher. Mm -hmm. What are some other benefits of yeah. Medicaid expansion? So there are quite a few other benefits. One is that premiums for people who are insured would go down, and this is because when people in the coverage gap end up going to the ER, 
these costs fall on the hospital and they have to distribute these costs among people who are insured. Mm -hmm. So if we expanded Medicaid, premiums would actually go down for everyone who is insured right now. In addition, about 15,000 jobs would be generated in Tennessee. It would also help Tennessee deal with the opioid crisis, and this is a big thing. As we know, this is a huge issue in Tennessee. It would make it much more likely that people suffering from addiction could get the treatment they need. And we've seen this in other states, specifically in Ohio, where they have expanded Medicaid. They've been able to drastically reduce the uh, rate of opioid overdoses since they expanded Medicaid. Probably with mental health services and, and more counseling. Exactly. And something important to note is that stats show that Medicaid expansion is what Tennesseans want. A poll last April showed that Tennesseans favor Medicaid expansion by three to one. So, you know, if Tennessee was able to do a ballot referendum, it would likely pass. It's just um, we can't do that in Tennessee. So mm -hmm. the legislature really you know, needs to listen to the people and hear that that's what the people want. Right. Um, Governor Lee calls the health care system fundamentally flawed and unsustainable, which I can see where someone would think that it, we're kind of having some rough times here, mm -hmm. but um, other disadvantages put forth by lawmakers include what works for California and New York won't work for us. I think that was early on, um, probably around um, Governor Haslam's uh, tank care. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Obamacare hasn't worked. The Obama administration was stubborn in not accepting our plan, uh, strings were attached. Though um, there have been many years of data now from other states doing Medicaid expansion to compare um, and learn from, they may not have um, existed earlier on. Mm -hmm. Another thing I forgot to say is uh, Governor Haslam's plan did not make it um, out of committee. It was never bought before uh, uh, the legislature, the representatives. So let's talk about um, hospital closures. We hear a lot about that. Yes, so as many people know, one major problem that Tennessee has been facing is rural hospital closures. And research shows that this is directly tied to Medicaid expansion. So in states that have expanded Medicaid, hospitals are six times less likely to close. In Tennessee, 12 hospitals have closed since 2010, and the Jamestown Regional Medical Center, which closed just in June, um, was this 12th hospital to close. And many of these hospitals are rural hospitals, and as people in rural areas are aware, this is a huge issue for rural communities. When hospitals close, people have to drive over 30 minutes just to get to an ER. And in addition, many people lose their jobs, and people and businesses don't want to move into the area because it doesn't have a hospital. So it truly does affect all aspects of a community. And Tennessee has lost more hospitals for its size than any other state in the country, so this really is a problem that Tennessee is facing. When these closures are primarily due to uncompensated care, uh, that is not balanced by patients with insurance coverage. So this is uh, what we see a, a lot of times in rural areas. Mm -hmm. This is also why healthcare providers are hesitant to establish their primary practices in rural areas. They don't get reimbursement. Exactly. So 
spend a lot of time on that. Let's talk about <laughs> the block grant, which is what we have going through um, um, the process to be approved uh, for our state. Yes. So um, a little bit of history. Medicaid is funded by both the state and federal governments. So under federal law, the feds have to give states matching funds. So we talked about this a little earlier. That means that the federal government gives Tennessee 65 cents for every dollar that we spend on Medicaid. Despite this matching structure being mandatory under federal law, Tennessee is attempting to convert TennCare into a block grant instead. So this would mean that there would be a cap on the amount of federal funds that Tennessee can receive. And something that's really important to note is that Tennessee is the only state that is trying to do this. So other states are not asking for this, and it's because they understand that it really will not be good for them in the long run. So what is uh, the, uh, the perceived advantage of going this way, the Medicaid block grant? So Tennessee lawmakers believe that a block grant will give them more flexibility. However, states already have a lot of flexibility. The matching structure is mandatory, and there are certain eligibility groups that states have to cover. But other than that, states have a lot of flexibility regarding what they offer and who they cover. So a block grant would not increase Tennessee's flexibility, it would actually just limit their flexibility. Um, especially when they're having to respond to healthcare crises. Okay, so they, they have a lot of freedom to yes. make decisions um, unique to Tennessee. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, the expected of amount of assistance through the block grant? Yeah, so some lawmakers have said that this block grant would help cover more people, but that's just not true. The bill says that the funding cannot be used to cover anyone other than the current Medicaid population, so it would not expand coverage to even one more person. Medicaid expansion is the only way to expand coverage to more people through federal funds. So there's, for first of all, it's delayed in court, mm -hmm. and I think this is the level of the federal government, the Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah. Health and Human Services. Yeah, so right now we're in the 180 days where Governor Lee and his team are kind of crafting what they're going to submit to the federal government, but it will inevitably be delayed in court because block grants aren't currently legal um, in the federal government. Oh, really? <laughs> we're pursuing something that's not legal. We are, yes, and um, the Trump administration has been encouraging states to kind of pursue a block grant, but um, so, you know, there's a possibility it could change and become legal, or they'll allow Tennessee to do something that's not called a block grant, but that's similar to a block grant. Um, but yes, it will definitely be delayed in court. There will be lawsuits, so it'll take a while and take a lot of time. Yeah, delays. Um, if, if, ten, if it is converted into a block grant, um, do you think we would get $1.4 billion a year? We would not get any extra money, and we would likely get less. So, um, you know, this would theoretically be good for the federal government because they're having to give Tennessee less money. They're cutting the amount that they have to give Tennessee, but it would just be bad for Tennessee because we'd be getting less funds and would have less money to cover people who are on TennCare.
So if we had like a recession or a health scare or epidemic or something like that, uh, that would kind of change our needs, um, you know, how, how, how would the block grant uh, respond to that? Like that happened, um, those people would be out of luck or we would have to pay for that care some other way, like maybe taking money from schools, transportation projects. Yeah, so it's kind of unsure what would happen at this point just because Tennessee doesn't really have a plan for that. But um, I think that's definitely a possibility that money could be taken from other areas. And something that a lot of people may not know is that Medicaid, the money that we're getting from the federal government, also goes into education, also goes into mental health. So we could maybe have to take money away from these programs to make sure that people are covered, and we really don't want to do that. Well, and I think Governor Lee has, has kind of has a rainy day fund, he calls it. That's quite a bit of money there, but um, I guess that could be used, but it seems... Maybe, it, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure yeah, if that would be able to We don't know too much about that, yeah. so we'll have to wait and see. Well... I wanted to just take a look at how Tennessee fares in the healthcare arena since we're talking about taking less money and making our own program, really going after that flexibility, build our own unique system. So with the current system that we have in place and have for many years, uh, we're ranked 45th in the United States by the World Health Organization um, on indices related to health. Um, 45, that's out of 50, everybody knows that. So we have a high prevalence of smoking, violent crime, and premature death. In fact, people living in Grundy, Miggs, and Lake counties considered are considered uh, to be 100% rural. They have uh, no listed primary care phys physician, and they're rural. Uh, they are 2.4 times more likely to die before age 75 than the three top counties. So we have a lot of very poor counties with no, no health care, and that affects our, our ranking. Uh, we rank 33 in maternal mortality, uh, primarily due to poor health access. We have 47 counties with no OBGYN, and we have higher rates of, again, smoking, obesity, and diabetes in uh, women of childbearing age. We rank 38 in infant mortality. That is the baby dies within a year of birth. Um, infant, we also have infant morbidity, um, illness, opioid-addicted babies are eight times the national average uh, of, um, in some East Tennessee counties. Um, my background is in oncology and cancer, so I was surprised that uh, we're ranked 47 in cancer deaths. It has increased in Tennessee by 7% over the past three decades, while nationally cancer rates are going down. Cardiovascular deaths, we rank 45. Diabetes, 45. Drug deaths, 38. Obesity, 35. Um, the hospital closures, 12. 30 are at risk of closing. Also, Remote Area Medical, or RAM, was founded, it, it is a group founded in 1985, uh, began to bring health care to people in other underdeve in underdeveloped countries. Founder. Stan Brock saw a desperate need in the U.S. for services. They provide numerous clinics in Tennessee for free. One recently in Cleveland, Tennessee was featured in the Washington Post with people lined up for hours beginning at dawn uh, into the night for two days giving 
what's called episodic health care. That means putting a band-aid basically on numerous chronic health problems. So they're being seen, but they'd have no uh, follow-up. And then um, in regards to the children, they Tennessee recently, whoops, dropped 220,000 children from uh, 10 care uh, by mistake. We're going to talk about 10 care for children on another episode. I have a good friend that's a pediatrician practicing in the rural community uh, when this, um, this happened. So in conclusion, um, continued delay in providing accessible, affordable, and quality health care. Yeah, so Tennessee basically just continues to move backwards in healthcare, and rather than bringing home our own tax dollars and expanding Medicaid and giving coverage to 300,000 more people, the legislature is just taking steps to turn TennCare into a block grant, which would only cut funding, and uh, this will just make it more difficult for people to access the healthcare that they need. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that telemedicine for primary care is not the answer to the rural health crisis. We we want and need and deserve actual doctors, nurses, clinics, not an expensive, untested, high-tech approach which may misdiagnose and make us go to the emergency room or hospital anyway. One study uh, that appeared in the Journal of Pediatrics noted that children receive treatment f- with antibiotics more than 50% on a telemedicine visit versus 42% in urgent care and 31% in the doctor's office. And I know what happens in these situations, better be safe than sorry and cover yourself. Whereas a, and antibiotics are, yeah, we have a problem with those. They're, they're overused, they can be again in children and by the time there's an adult, uh, they're an adult, they may be um, resistant or allergic to many, many an- antibiotics. 31% in doctors is probably a, a little bit high as well, but at least the uh, healthcare provider, could be a nurse practitioner, uh, is looking and really uh, evaluating uh, uh, the child. And it, it's not easy. I see children too. <laughs> it's not easy <laughs> to get that swab down the throat <laughs> and really make a good night um, diagnosis. So, um, yes, we need the coverage for 3,000 uh, people and. Um, and, and they need to be able to see a doctor uh, in person. They need, they need the coverage. Um, Anna, I always like to have an action plan. Mm-hmm. So please participate um, in this too. Some things for the listeners uh, to do, to be involved. You know, we're trying to say, hey, what about us? And so we, uh, we need to take some action after we get all this great uh, information. So, you know, be alert. We need more alerts. Be alert when you listen to healthcare arguments. Be suspicious of words like patient-centered care. I mean, as opposed to what? Pet-centered care or your house-centered care? Healthcare is patient-centered. Now, flexibility, you know, we use that some in relation to Medicaid expansion, um, but flexibility uh, can also mean, uh, it can mean doing great things, the flexibility to do to do great things, but also to cut off or limit care for people. That's mm-hmm. flexibility. No strings attached. Ooh, that just, to me, just is, that's fraud and abuse opportunity, you know, for that. Our system has a lot of loopholes, so we, we, we really need some strings attached. Uh, even your doctor, uh, 
has guidelines established by their professional organizations and actually they need to follow them uh, more closely. I think on a national level I hear a lot about uh, losing your doctor um, or um, not being able to choose your doctor. I think that people that have a close relationship with their doctor and they only have one are really fortunate. I don't think that's the case for a lot of people. Doctors come and go, um, insurances you know, change, your situation changes. So the good old family doctor that saw you through birth to um, old age is not really applicable for a lot of people. And you also have many, many doctors in some situations. So. And then um, also that you love your insurance. I have really good insurance. I don't love it because <laughs> I have a high deductible and uh, um, I, I don't use it a whole lot, but I think I have a lot of co-pays for things. So loving my insurance or people loving their insurance, I think they just you know, don't, like, don't like change. Be aware of proposals that sound too good to be true because they probably are. Healthcare in our country is a business and there's lots of people that will put their pockets ahead of yours. This is a big reason for our high cost. There's many, many hands uh, in the bucket. Um, this is your life and your family's life and health and quality of life. Uh, you might want find that you want a little regulation and a little bit of interference just to keep you safe. Anna, you said that sharing your stories is really important, and I know the Tennessee Justice Center does a lot of that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we really found that having people share their personal stories is one of the best ways to help lawmakers and the public understand the real-life impact that policies have on people. So, you know, if you're in the coverage gap or you have care, share with your lawmakers and with your friends how important this care is to you or how you know, detrimental it is that you don't have health coverage. And even if you don't have one of those things, talk about your community, talk about your friends and family that are in these positions because helping people understand that so many real people in your town, in your city are going through this, that's really important and can help change people's minds. And you can also send those to Tennessee Justice Center for your website, can you not? Yes, yep, mm -hmm. you can go through our website, email us, or give us a call and share your stories with us and we can really help you do this through sending letters to your lawmakers or s submitting letters to the editor to your local newspaper. Things like that are really good ways of getting the word out. And what is your website? How could they reach out to you? Our website is www.tnjustice.org. And you can sign a petition there as well. Yes. Yeah, so and if you want to sign our petition, that just kind of calls on Governor Lee and our state legislators to address Tennessee's urgent health care needs, you can go to www.tnjustice.org slash petition. And this will also give you the option to opt in to receive email updates from us. And if you do this, then you'll receive just occasional emails from us about what's going on with healthcare policy and different ways that you can take action. Okay. Thank you so much, Anna. So we're going to the polls again next year, 2020. We really must start tying our finances and health to who we elect and not emotion or personality preferences. Mm -hmm. I think we're just emotional 
and things aren't working for us, especially in rural communities. Vote for your health and life and the life and health of your children and your family. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Have a good day.